Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburrow and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today we're talking about the resurrection and its historicity. Hey, good morning. Well, good day. Good whatever it is. It's mm-hmm. good morning here, as you can tell, because I can't say words. Um, I took three bites at saying the word historicity and still didn't get it right. <laughs> but uh, it's me and Ryan here today. and Hello. It's Monday morning, so I'm sorry about that. But we, we've got <laughs> exciting things to talk about. Um, and actually, this morning, I was thinking, this is really apropos that we're talking about the resurrection, because this afternoon, Ryan, you've got a big, long all-afternoon class, mm-hmm. and it's the last big class at AGC College this year, yeah. and it's kind of about resurrection, renewal of all things, the restoration of everything, and yeah, so it kind of ties in. Yeah, and that's, interestingly, for my for the end of like a big two-year course for sophomores and then freshmen and then also at the end of my theology course tomorrow is uh well the topic of eschatology or last things and so there will be a yeah. lot of talk of resurrection and stuff there so it's so your head's all up in this space oh yeah at the moment so yeah. good. so good we'll see if that comes through on the podcast but <laughs> <laughs> supposedly yeah, yeah. <laughs> And this is, um, I may, maybe we'll throw a couple of books in the notes, but this is like a really well-worn topic. Um, I think, when did the Jesus Seminar start? Like 70-something? Yeah. So it was a famous sort of liberal movement in the theological community that challenged the historicity of not just Jesus and what he said and what he did, but the documents, the evidence for what he said, all mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff. And that kind of spurred a cottage industry looking at, like, okay, so is it all myth? And, like, well, there was maybe some truth behind it. but And there was this movement of, like, demythologizing the Bible, you know, to, like, what's actually true um, and things like that. Um, but then there was this cottage industry to look at those questions. And mm. so coming out of the sort of late 70s, well, still going on today in many ways, but definitely like a bulk of work, 70s, 80s into the 90s, um, looking at, yeah, okay, so is there a historical trust? Because we often say like Christianity is different to some other religions in Mm -hmm. that it's not, well, we believe that and we hope and maybe one day we'll die and be vindicated. But really you're just going to like have to take it on faith. But actually, Christianity is a religion rooted in his uh, history. Like God, actually, it's really important to the the God story and the gospel that we believe tells the story of reality. That God has shown up and been a part of things, done certain things, acted in certain ways, said certain things in history. Yeah. So if we can look in history and see that stuff, that's really important. So. And the the encouragement is that actually coming out of looking at this, there is um, there are really good answers to these questions. So we're going to sort of delve into that bag of good answers a little bit. But um, yeah, it, it reminds me, I did, uh, so I used to do a lot of college ministry, like on campus. Mm. And I remember once being invited to give a talk 
on this sort of you know historical Jesus historical resurrection thing to a bunch of graduate students who are history students like doing PhDs in history and it was really interesting because none of them you know were Christian at all they're all mm-hmm. like postmodern mm. European liberal minded you know but all of them afterwards the chat was really interesting because they were like oh I I mean you know they, they phrased it in more than just this sentence but <laughs> I might have to rethink some things because yeah. I didn't realize the strength and extent of the evidence yeah and so that was encouraging to me because I think it's encouraging as an evangelistic tool but I mostly I've seen the fruit of this as like it's encouraging for Christians because we all I mean praying to someone you can't see following like just believing in a god in our world view in the west is a is an unusual thing mm-hmm. and we do bump into moments where like wait like wait a second is this like am I kidding myself here or like what's going on or well I got faith I've got some evidence but like how well founded is this like you know just I don't know we've got a muscle within us culturally where we seek tangibles yeah right yeah. And so it, it's really encouraging when we exercise our faith to be able to look for a tangible and be like, oh, there are some huge ones. Oh, my faith's actually really well-founded. And if, if I didn't ask those questions or wasn't, wasn't interested, that wouldn't matter. Like I've still got the Holy Spirit and the scriptures and the church. And, but in our culture, I know there's loads of people that do. And so that's yeah. the sort of interesting thing that I think most western christians if they're honest would say like oh yeah like i ask those questions in my heart you know it's the sort of classic thing in a sunday school class a three-year-old is like uh you know how (laughs) do we you know just they'll ask the frank questions right the adults are all used to like oh yeah i can't really talk about people think i'm a bad christian like no you're not a bad christian like that's our culture bumping into our religion and those questions popping out of that interaction is a good thing. Yeah. Like this one of my favorite phrases for this sort of theology or sometimes called apologetics is like Christians of all people should ask the most penetrating questions and expect the most satisfying answers. Yeah. And so they get, that's like a long intro. What's that? There we go. That's filled up five, six minutes. <laughs> there we go. Because <laughs> there's just so, there's so much we could talk about. Uh. So let's let's talk about because you're you got this all in your head. Let's talk about the significance of the resurrection. Yeah, because this is there's a theological, but also Paul talks about it. So yeah, plenty to talk about there. Yeah. Um, well, I think the best uh, place to start as far as the significance of the resurrection is. Um, well, I actually had a professor at Western who always said uh, who, you know, did some campus ministry himself actually, um, and his kind of thing was always talking with other people from like other world religions and uh, you know, who were um, very keen on trying out all the different world religions because they, they knew, they knew there was something, there was more meaning to uh, the world than it just existing. And you, you were born and then, then one day you die and it's all black from there and they knew something. So yeah. they, but that sounds but they very didn't know important. Yeah, like yeah. I'm very spiritual Mm-hmm. But I kind of want a pick and mix approach to reality. Yeah. So and so he's right in the thick of this, um, and and trying to do you know these ministries like this. And uh, his always his kind of piece of advice was always just start with Christianity. Like you're going to eventually, it sounds like, get there. 
So start with Christianity because it's the easiest one to either uh, find out has the most validity or find out that it's a bunch of hogwash because right in our own scriptures, um, we have kind of this, uh, this kind of, well, it, it either is or it isn't, and it's with the resurrection. And Paul says, and what this is, is in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul yeah. says, I've well, got it here. Shall I read it? Uh, yeah, yeah, that'll be better you, than me trying to. Because Ryan hasn't got a Bible. Bad, uh, naughty Ryan. I know, it's not I'm a Bible sorry. open. In front yeah. of like, so pray for Ryan. Yeah. But yeah, so Paul says, uh, now, if Christ is procreate, pro- oh goodness, you read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, if Christ has, uh, now if Christ is proclaimed, Are I'm not sure, any better it, yet. Right, could we get a third can we person get a, here? <laughs> Someone come read. Um, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's a cutting. Yeah. Yeah. So Boom. Paul just says, uh, this whole thing is absolutely worthless and garbage. And why are we wasting our time? It's it's a futile thing yeah. to believe in, live our life for, like make the end all be all of existence. If Well, first of all, if we don't believe that we will be raised from the dead, because if we don't believe that we'll be raised from the dead, then that means that Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then he was just another guy making Messiah claims like some people had done at that time. And and like some people hadn't even made claims about themselves, but that the Jewish people were hoping would be it about uh, certain characters that would come uh, throughout uh, and and they hoped is is this it is this him um, is this figure going to be the Messiah figure that we've you know heard prophecies about and stuff like that and you know then they would die and it was like well I guess not um, but the difference with Christ was that he raised from the dead and that's what that's what kind of vindicates um, his claims of yeah. being Messiah and so Paul right there is just saying like this is it like the, our whole faith hinges on this one simple, not uh, simple in the sense of not a crazy fact. Someone raising from the dead is a crazy fact, but it's simple in the sense that it's just one little thing. Did a guy raise from the dead or not? And uh, there you have it. It's like the linchpin. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because like Jesus said, uh, he even claimed when people were like, well, you're doing a lot of miracles. Like, how do we know you're not just like a wizard? Like, how? Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus is like, well, when when I die and get raised from the dead, that's the ultimate vindication of everything. Yeah. Because that like creation of life, that's something that only God can do. Mm-hmm. And so even Jesus was like, my dudes, if you don't trust any of the signs, this is one for sure, you know, has to be a God thing. Yeah. So that was huge. Yeah. And it, and it, huge because 
of the claims that Christ was making about himself of like, when you see him, you see the father. And so like we had seen, and, and that he would just be raised from the dead. We had seen other people be raised from the dead. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, Elisha had raised uh, some people uh, from the dead. And so, it, it, you know, some might say, well, what about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Isn't that kind of a big deal? Couldn't they see that as a, some sort of vindication of him being, well, that would have just been a vindication of maybe him being sent by the Father in some way or being a prophet like Elisha who had um, had some moments like that. But there's something about Jesus himself um, claiming that no person coming through and like being some third party uh, kind of being sent by God to raise Jesus from the dead, but that he would just raise up himself, you know, that the spirit of God in him would just raise him up. Um, I, I think is one of the the things that adds to that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the linchpin. Well, and I like the way, I mean, the bit you just read that, you know, our faith is, I can't remember what that translation said, empty or, but I think the Greek word there is matois. So it's this sort of empty, forceless, you know, so it's their preaching is kind of vain, like it's not actually, it's it's devoid of content. Yeah. It's a lie, basically. But then also your faith is, um, is just sort of wish fulfillment. You know, it's like the only power your faith is going to have is, is the sort of placebo effect of positive thinking. Yeah. Like it's not actually faith in something that's real. Because if Jesus rose, I mean, there's so much theology here, but if Jesus was raised from the dead, it's when God does that thing, that's not just a signal, but it's a, it's a putting into reality a new way he's going to work in the new created humans. Yeah. So our, our faith for transformation, healing, hope, redemption, you know, fruitfulness, everything depends upon that power actually being a reality yeah otherwise we're just trying to like copycat something god did which is i mean that's not gonna end well yeah you know i can yep. try and dunk it like lebron lebron james but <laughs> it ain't gonna happen it's yep. just like it's a fool's errand yeah so yeah so it's like everything hinges on this reality which is i mean that's i mean as an aside like just to have the one minute let's go down a rabbit trail window um, the church ought to conduct itself. And I mean like Sundays, but I also mean the church is in us as Christians and the way we live our lives, ought to conduct ourselves in a way that we kind of live and pray and make decisions on the basis of, well, God, I want you to be glorified. Uh, and so I'm going to live in a way that my faith's actually being exercised where if you don't show up, it's going to be noticeable. Yeah. And if you do show up, it's going to be noticeable. And it's sometimes really sad to see people living in a way, or, I mean, we've all done it, to catch ourselves doing it ourselves and be like, I'm living in a way where if God was here or not, it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference. Mm. You know, so, yeah. like, that ought to be part of the power of the witness of the church, yeah. is seeing resurrection power. Yeah. But maybe that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think it's an important thing that you raise, too, because another bit about this that makes his resurrection different from the resurrections of other people is that we're also we believe in a messiah who's resurrected and stayed resurrected those other people that i mentioned who had been raised from the dead lazarus well he did eventually die again um and those uh people that elisha had raised from the dead well they did eventually die again um 
and they're still waiting for Christ's return. But Christ raised from the dead, and then that's it. He, he defeated death in that moment and, and then ascended to his rightful place, uh, you know, to the throne in heaven. So, so that, and so that's the thing is that that sort of like kind of behaving in a way or believing in a way and, uh, resting our faith in a way that expects Christ to show up assumes the belief that we believe not in a Messiah who did raised from the dead and then eventually died again, but that we believe in a currently still alive raised Messiah who's now already raised from the dead into the glorification that is promised to us all. Yeah. Um, Or, or to say that sort of final, like we've all now defeated death sort of moment that we're all waiting for. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of the twist on it, isn't it? Like the way the spirit was at work in Jesus as he, was reshaping humanness during his life and ministry, mm-hmm. like signals to us what's possible in the now. Um, but Jesus's resurrection and glorifi- glorification shows us what our future is yeah. in the not yet. But actually our reality is we get a little bit of now and not yet yeah. here on earth. Like these two are overlapping a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's... You know, if this is real and true, basically, that's where, like, this is great podcast. But Ryan and I look at each other and, like, smile and grin. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. but if that's true, life ought to be exciting. So mm-hmm. the resurrection is something that not just makes us go, oh, phew, oh, Jesus did rise. Okay, <laughs> cool. But actually then it's like, oh, profoundly shaping for our expectations of life and everything. Yeah. Because it's just the world got changed. And it's sort of part of the good news, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's amplified, though. The good news is not just like, oh, death isn't the end because it's yeah. death isn't the end within a certain st- biblical story about why death is significant and why it came and what's conquered. But that's something we've talked about before and would <laughs> be more than a rabbit trail. Yeah, that'd be a rhino trail. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we will not go down that route. So let's let's talk about um uh, should we start with like the the biblical documents? Mm. So there are some evidences that talk about like man, there's a lot of chatter in the world that you know some guy called Jesus was dead and everyone is believers, you know, followers claim he's alive. But really, uh, and that stuff sort of nice corroborating evidence. Yeah, but it it bottoms out on the the detailed accounts are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, and Paul adds in some things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is it hokum? Mm. So that was the sort of that's where the Jesus seminar thing came in, right? They were like, "Oh, the style of documents that these are were never intended to be read as historical documents. Yeah, these were intended to be sort of inspiring myths that point to something that reality, that historical reality can never have anything to do with. Mm-hmm. You know, like Aesop's fables or you know, the, any of the other Greek or Roman myths or things like that, yeah. right? Um, and that that really is probably the only, only live question still. Yeah. Because in a way, we've got such overwhelming evidence that we have confidence that we know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote because of the overwhelming number of ancient manuscripts. Yes. Yeah. So this is like the classic uh, 
like Chinese whispers. Mm-hmm. Do you call it that? You call um, it something different in America, don't you? Where, where you and so I oh, whisper yeah. something to you and you uh, whisper it to the next person. We see what it turns into by the time uh, it yes. gets around yeah, the circle, uh, right? Telephone. Telephone, yeah. right. Yep. So if, if the way we got our Bible was like that, then yeah, we'd be like, oh my goodness, it could have changed loads of times. Mm-hmm. But if instead of telephone, it's like I whisper to Ryan and then Ryan whispers to 12 people and mm-hmm. then those whisper to, and then when they're up with a thousand people, and we can kind of trace the lineage, like the tree of all those. There will be changes, yeah. but by being able to cross-reference and thing, we s- we are in a really good position to figure out like which bit of the jigsaw fits and which doesn't. Yeah. And so, yeah, so but w- that's not really a, a question for archaeologists, for bibliologists, people who study the, these things, for historians, yeah. things like that. And those manuscripts are really, really old. Yeah, and it the oldness matters because you know if uh, I I don't know I want to learn something about Ryan's life, and I'm like, oh look, I found his diary, mm-hmm. you know, and if the ink is fresh, you know, and the the coffee stain, I can still smell the coffee on the page. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, he wrote this this morning. This is definitely like I can trust no one's mess with this. Yep. But yeah, if it's a hundred years time. Yeah. Then I got a problem. So, and yeah, we've got manuscripts that go back to within a generation. Yeah. Of Jesus, so actual tangible, you can go visit it in a museum manuscripts, which is yeah really mm-hmm. cool. So, and and we have a high degree of confidence about who wrote these things and what kind of sources they used. Mm-hmm. You know the fact that there's a high probability of written underlying sources behind Matthew, Mark, Luke, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke. So we've got sort of authors who every witness puts close to Jesus, Mm -hmm. that history puts in the same generation of Jesus, who wrote stuff down that we have manuscript evidence for within a generation of Jesus. It just like things are stacking up the, the sort of question of like, oh, yeah, but the, it's been tampered with or, oh, yeah, but all those Jesus miracles were only written in the fourth century. Those sort of, act, like, they just don't fly. Yeah. No one's taking those kind of <clears throat> questions seriously. But that was like a long way to say, to introduce the question. <laughs> Did Matthew, Mark and Luke and John, who were close to Jesus, so they, they were in prime position to record fact and were in prime position because they wrote in that time that if they didn't write fact every tom dick and harry who was anti-jesus would have been liar liar like finger on nose pointing (laughs) finger like that's not how it happened look we got all these people over here who know that wasn't how it went down you know so if they tried to write fact they either did or the biggest conspiracy the world's ever known like yep. has, has been pulled off against every conceivable historical odd. So that's th- a thin ice to yeah. skate on. Or they never intended to write history, never intended what they took to be taken as history. And so that's why no one challenged it. And we're just making a mistake. Mm-hmm. So that's the big question. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what um, do we say to that? Cause that one matters more. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even say, like, it, it may seem like, um, I'll just say one recent book even that a lot of people, that really exploded a lot of people were talking about that made this particular argument, especially about um, Luke was kind of his 
uh, whipping boy a little bit on like the gospel that could not have possibly been intended to, you know, which is, yeah. Anyway, was uh, Reza Aslan wrote a book called Zealot. Um, and uh, that was kind of his big thing. He spent a whole chapter on on Luke and how it seems like this really reliable gospel and blah, blah, blah. But he never intended, he would have never expected any, anyone to read his gospel as historical fact. And this book came out in 2000, sometime after 2010, 2011, something like that. Yeah. Um, and so f- fairly new. Um, I don't think his arguments were necessary. His arguments aren't new, but uh, the him kind of retelling that argument and it exploding and getting on national news things is like, oh, how did this man come in and just question everything that everyone's believed in for thousands of years? And uh, anyway. Which is bizarre given the way that Luke introduces his gospel. Exactly. So and I'll, just, exactly I'll just read yep. the... He, he, he begins dedicating the work to Theophilus, who's probably a sort of... I mean, that's a Roman name mm-hmm. and he's got the most excellent, which is like a an honorific Roman title, like we might say the most worshipful mayor of, or, you know, it's a fancy title. Mm-hmm. So he says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so you may have certainty concerning the th- concerning the things you've been taught. Mm. Like if that isn't the introduction to a history book, yeah, what is? Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's and so it's interesting that we you know we have him and so Luke wrote Luke and Acts and yep. Acts kind of has a similar esque introduction to show that it, this is kind of part two, like he's yeah. introducing volume the two sequel. of this Jesus big work. The sequel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so we know that he's writing Acts in a, a similar manner to show like, okay, here's everything that happened with Jesus. And now we've got uh, post Jesus's death and uh, resurrection. Now what? What has continued? How is his movement uh, furthered? Who is it that's still believing in this? And, and how has... Uh, it grown to the magnificent size that it has um, in such a short yeah. period of time, and that's kind of what Acts is accounting. Uh, and both have this sort of kind of like, I have set out to write an orderly historical eyewitness account yeah. of these things. And, um, the, and their intent is corroborated by their content in that Luke provides names, dates, places. Oh, it was three years after this guy was you know, yeah. ascended to the throne here. And um, yeah, the the amount of sort of data points mm-hmm. in Luke trounces every other Bible book by some significant margin. So yeah. his style, but it's not just um, from our point of view, it looks like history. Given historical writing in the ancient world, yeah. this was also a norm. Mm-hmm. So we know that if he doesn't intend us to read this as history, He's taken up the style of a history writer. Yeah. So that's a confusing set of expectations, Luke. Sticking a strange approach to. Here's something that I've said is history and clearly looks and feels and reads like history, given your ancient readership. Uh, But by the way, it's not. But I'm not going to tell you that. Yeah. And you should know better than to actually read this as history. (laughs) Like, 
it was a very weird way to (laughs) set out uh, for that sort of thing. Um, And it's interesting. uh, One book that is, I'll be honest, it's fairly old. I I think it still holds up a little bit. Um, I might be wrong on this, but I think it still holds up. F.F. Bruce wrote a small little book, um, Are the New Testament Documents Still one of the best introductions to these questions. Yeah. Because you can read it in an afternoon. Oh, yeah. 130 pages. And that's not just coming from the PhD and like... Uh, you know, THM guy. Oh, you can read it in an afternoon, and it's seven hundred pages. And you're like, who are these guys? No Lies, other person basically. could. Yeah. No, like <laughs> this is like a pamphlet size, can fit it in your back pocket, uh, sort of book that's a yeah. hundred pages. And so, genuinely, you we'll, can read we'll it link in, an it in afternoon. the notes for you guys. Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, or at least the version I have fits in your back pocket. So if you order it and then you're like, hey, this is a normal size book. I couldn't fit this. What yeah, kind I've of pants are you wearing? Because yeah. I got hardback. <laughs> Don't like, come at me. The, the version I have at home fits in my back pocket, I swear to you. Um, anyway, he he takes a good long look at Luke in particular and then looks at, uh, like you said, the fact that he uses name, dates, titles, and stuff like that and talks about the very specific titles that Luke uses throughout that are like oddly specific and more specific than like the other gospels. Whereas uh, the other gospels and other writings might use certain titles for people that are kind of like maybe what some of the people would call them kind of at home or whatever. Luke tends to use the more like official Roman titles. Yeah. They're like insider language. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so it, it seems to show that his sources or whom he's talking to that maybe would have given him those sort of titles are a different kind of people and that he really does kind of have, uh, as, as he said he set out to do with those eyewitnesses, that he has a, he's added some extra people as far as his eyewitnesses go for, for creating that orderly account, which is just another thing to show like, hmm, maybe what we have here, and at least this document for sure, is something special among kind of this history accomplishment of trying to set out for this. Like yeah. he's really done what he set out to do and we can trust it yeah. um, based off of those sort of historical titles. So I want to keep things moving along because mm. we could do a whole series of podcasts on just the historicity of the new Testament or the old Testament mm. or the canon or so that gets the juices flowing, at least. So we've got documents that pertain to historical fact, like they're trying to display historical facts. So then the question is, are they truthful? Like, mm-hmm. And then that's the sort of eyewitness manuscript dates. You know, do we know who wrote it? Like all those questions are pertinent, but we have a higher degree of confidence in those things. Um, so let's, I mean, I feel like we're really not doing justice, but let's like, we've said enough to gesture that those questions get answered. Mm -hmm. So then the things that the New Testament state about Jesus, like, does it hold together like as a, as a case? Like if we cross examine it, I guess, Mm. I mean, this is, there's like a famous, what was the name of the guy? Uh, Strobel wrote like the case for... Christ, the case for the resurrection. He wrote a bunch of case for, but it's that sort of approach. Um, So we'll, you know, if there's a verse that just says Jesus rose from the dead, it's like, well, let's ignore that one. Let's just look at the sort of the claims to see what other stuff there is, the evidence is for us. Like, did this really happen? 
And so, I mean, there's a couple of ways to do this. One is to look at alternatives mm-hmm. and, and see if it can fit together. Um, yeah, let's let's do a bit of that. Um, so I guess I guess the the biggest challenge in my mind is this whole thing, given the significance of the resurrection and the historical claims made about it by the early church. Because like Paul says, actually, I've got this in the Bible here. This is in uh, Corinthians 15 again, but just Mm. a bit before. Uh, Before he talks about the significance of it, he lays out, um, you know, in accordance with the scriptures, Jesus rose, he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, Mm -hmm. then to more than 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive, which is an invitation for like, if you don't believe me, go ask them. Yep. So that's like, you know, when you ask, have you done my homework? Yes, you can go check. It's on my desk. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yep. The evidence is there. And last of all, you know, to me, and so, but it's just this, like, you can't go saying, oh yeah, I've got world changing gospel news. You should all believe me. You should listen to my preaching. It's based on this. You can go and check. Like all I had to do, was produce a body show me the body yep like you bring out a body the whole thing's cooked like it's done mm-hmm. you know and it's really interesting like um well here's one example so when jesus rose the jewish temple guard that was there placed under roman authority as well to guard the tomb all fell flat on the backs and you know were like ah! overwhelmed by the power of God and then they went and ran to their leaders the officials and told them what happened and rather than those leaders running back to the tomb and and saying well look here's the body like you guys were wrong it was an earthquake or it it was I don't know Mm. kids playing tricks with fireworks like it wasn't that was the bright (laughs) light or like whatever like rather than like all they had to do was walk to the tomb pull the body out and say but they didn't. Yeah. It, the, 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 the re- historical record says they had to com- basically pay these people off to lie and say the disciples came and stole the body. Yeah. So that sort of tells me where's... So that sort of leads the, 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 the cross-examination question to like, oh, so where's the body then? Yeah. So we've clearly... We've got an empty tomb. So then the question is like, why? Yeah. And I, I mean, this is this is where it gets funky. So, disciples stole the body. Mm. Let's run with that one a little bit, right? Sure. So, Ryan, <laughs> after Jesus died, what mm-hmm. sort of state of mind would you describe the disciples as being in? Uh, well, they're clearly. I mean, read uh, Luke twenty-four. Um, some of the disciples. I mean, they're distraught. They're they strangely, I mean, we as Christians look at this sometimes and we're like, why, why? He told you what was going to happen, but they're still all, they're all lost. Many of them went back to their old ways of life. They're become fishermen again. They are just walking around. Jesus walks up to two of them in Luke 24. They have no idea that it's even him. They can't even, I mean, they don't assume that it could possibly be Jesus who they saw die. Um, so, but they don't know what to do, and they're kind of talking about it, and they're like, 
Jesus is like, hey, what's up? They don't know it's Jesus, but he's like, hey, what's up? And they're like, well, what do you mean what's up? You haven't heard? How could, Have you been living under a rock? Yeah. Like, how, how do you not know what's been going on? Like, we all thought this was it. We thought this was the guy. We thought this was the promised Messiah. He was going to come in and shake stuff up. And we were this whole second exile thing that we've been, you know, waiting for. Like, we thought this was it. Yeah. And he just died. Like, and now there's people claiming and that didn't he's... just die, it was crucified by Rome. Yeah, yeah. Like, and we were his disciples, so our head's probably on the block next. Yep, yeah, exactly. So we, we like, fearing for our lives, hiding, mm-hmm. confused, and all the wind sucked out the sails. Yeah, and now you've got people claiming that he's raised, but, like... Yeah. They're asking the same question, but where, you know, yeah. but where's the body? If he's raised, where is he alive? Yeah. Where's so the there's body? a few things they're going to have to overcome, right? They're going to have to, number one, they are showing all the evidence of having no box for the kind of resurrection that actually mm-hmm. the Bible claims. So it would be very, very strange for them to steal the body and fake that resurrection. Yep. Right. Yeah. If anything, and w- what was the normal thing at the time when a rabbi or a, a like a Jewish miracle worker or a, you know a spiritual leader died, was to build a big tomb to venerate the person. Mm-hmm. So if if the disciples stole the body, the only expectation we really have is that they would have venerated the body to rebury it in a, in a better tomb. Yeah. But being buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, it already had a venerable burial because that's like a rich upstanding member of the community. You know, he's, he's had that sort of burial already. So it's just like, it's really hard to see what motivation they could have to steal the body. And then secondly, what's the chance of them actually carrying it out? Yeah. Right. So you've got this trained military presence at the tomb that then some fishermen have to overcome and I know we watch a lot of action movies like, yeah, Bruce Willis can take on uh, <laughs> like an entire cohort of like ex-SAS, you know, terrorists and overcome them. But that's Hollywood. Yeah. Like, let's just take a dose of actual reality. So, I mean, yes, it's technically like it's metaphysically possible yeah. that it happened, but it's not stacking up on that account either to be likely that then the people guarding the tomb would have run to the temple and said, we don't know what happened. The body, yeah. Like, if they actually, if the disciples came and stole the body, mm-hmm. I think they would have said, well, it was a big fight. Look, this guy's lost his arm. I've lost a finger. We got overwhelmed. That's not the story. The story is that the not that there's a fight. Yeah. Uh, and like, oh, well, maybe they tunneled in from the other side. Well, show me the tunnel. Like, there's just... yeah. yeah. You know, like, you keep coming up with theories, but, like, the body's gone, and it doesn't look like the disciples did it. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, what are we left with? And for the sake of time, because the last podcast we did was really long. (laughs) (laughs) And if you got through it, well done. Um, But let's go for the, well, maybe Jesus wasn't really dead. So Mm -hmm. no one came and stole him. He just snuck out. Yeah. Right. And this was popular for a while. Actually, um, within some uh, Muslim communities, Mm. this is their prevalent theory about, um, yeah, like why there's an empty tomb. How do you explain the empty tomb? So I guess 
there's there's two lines here. One is like, was Jesus really dead? Because then, even if he did sneak out, that's still a bit of a yeah, <laughs> still a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> that's still pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the the other like, if he's not dead, would be the like, okay, but like then could he have actually snuck out and mm-hmm. you know th- does that play out does that does that tell a real like a reality story mm-hmm. or does that actually start to sound like the weird myth someone's made up yeah so do we have a dead jesus again let's pull out let's delve mm-hmm. into our grab bag of historical facts yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah what what would be because there's so much to talk about here what would be some of your top things you think of when you think like how do i know jesus was actually really dead yeah i mean uh for one i mean we have accounts from people who were there watching the death and roman crucifixion was not known for leaving their men alive by the end (laughs) not on accident not on whoops we thought we thought he was dead but uh they they had really perfected this form of, uh, like, torturous killing. Like, they, they were pretty darn good at it. Um, and, you know, this is why you see, like, them breaking the, the bones of uh, the other, like, the thieves on the cross and stuff like that is because this was a way of, like, really kind of finishing the job because this is, as many may know, and if you don't know, crucifixion is not really just, like, a bloodletting or something like that from nails and hands and feet like this is like a form of awful suffocation um from you're trying constantly to hold your body up as you're hanging through these wounds and and you can't um and you have to kind of like every once in a while use whatever strength after a beating and everything to pull yourself up to get a breath in and then you have to let your lungs and your chest sink back in yeah and uh so when when you break the the knees like that um well you're completely ruining that possibility but of course we know jesus didn't have his uh knees broken but they still had to make sure he was dead somehow so we see the you know we have the stories of sticking a spear in his side and and blood and water pouring out and there's all sorts of stuff we could go into and again but recounted in the gospels contemporaneous like Mm -hmm. the the written record that that happened the the guy who did it was probably still alive Yep. All they have to do is pull out the executioners and have them say, we never did that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like Christianity is being cross-examined, especially by the Jewish leaders and then not not long after by the Roman leaders. And we've got like written records of this in Roman history, church history as well, of like mm-hmm. they were sending out people to go investigate this new movement. So, yep. And then we have, you know, whether or not you're saying, oh, he didn't really die, but and then people saw him. But we see in the accounts of after his, you know, supposed, I'm doing finger quotes, supposed uh, resurrection. Yeah, that's, uh, you can't do that in a podcast. podcast yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but his uh, finger quotes, supposed resurrection. Uh, but you have them all like touching the wounds in his hands and his feet and his yeah. side. So yeah, the body massive. seen after yeah. has the wounds of this crucifixion death. Um, which is huge. Yeah. So all of those things that we're told that would be putting Jesus to death are right there in his body in, in many different accounts. Like you said, either pull out the executioners. Did you actually shove a spear in his side? Uh, no, that never would have happened. 
oh, okay, well, now we have to really rethink this thing. But even if you have that, you go, well, then how does he have this wound over here in his side that looks an awful lot like a spear wound in his side? So you, yeah. you have multiple corroborating evidences here that this, yeah. these death wounds really yeah. were dealt. Yeah, I've, I've just pulled up, because you talk about the crucifixion, but actually his flogging before. Oh. So Isaiah prophesies this sort of like, you know, his face would be marred more than any man. Basically, mm-hmm. like he wouldn't even look like a human being anymore. And, um, but yeah, they would, they would uh, embed like bone and metal and flint and things mm-hmm. in the leather cords of this flagellum. And whip. it was basically a form of torture that if you fessed up to some crimes or like, you know, grasped up some of your compatriots that, you know, you, the next lash would be slightly less. Mm. But Eusebius, uh, the ancient historians, said that uh, with Roman flogging, often the victim victim's veins were laid bare. The inner muscles and sinews, even the bowels were exposed. So, so he would have been tied naked to a post and whipped from his neck down to his calves and, and then made to carry the cross, then crucified, so nails in. Uh, and like you say, uh, yeah, eventually you suffocate because your shoulders dislocate and you're mm. out of strength because you massive blood loss from the flogging. So you go into hypovolemic shock, which is probably why Jesus couldn't carry the cross mm. and said, I thirst. So like it joins up. Um, so so he's in a rotten state. So then to say like he somehow revived, moved the stone without anyone noticing he was doing it, snuck past the guards, and then walked seven miles to appear to the, the disciples. And then the disciples' response is like, oh my goodness. It's Jesus, not medic. Someone yeah, get a totally. doctor. <laughs> like, yep. yeah, no one at any point thinks that someone who's been in that state for a few days yeah. needs medical attention. Yeah. Like, are the disciples really that dumb? Like, is that what we're saying? Mm-hmm. Like, so it just, it doesn't stack up at all. Like, and, and here's another funny one, right? I say funny, like kind of ridiculous, tragic, but. So you've got Joseph of Arimathea superintending, like mm. overseeing Jesus being placed in the tomb. And you've got some of the women and what they would do with the bodies, they, they would embalm them with oils and spices and wrap them in cloth. Mm. That took hours. So they've taken the body down from the cross and these women are wrapping them up. Okay. And at no point do they notice that he's still breathing or his heart's still beating. Yeah. Or they do. And they think, well, let's bury him anyway. Like, <laughs> what, yeah, what? Like, what, what possible world of fact and reality is there where Jesus, where anyone could have had any inkling like he was alive? Yeah. Like medical evidence, con- like contemporary evidence, evidence afterwards of like, what did Jesus look like? after? Like it just, this story is a wash with um, well, whatever the word is for things not adding up. Yeah. But it just, yeah, it doesn't add up, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then Jesus is going around appearing to people, and so, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that's. I feel like we should wrap it up and like pull it mm. together because there's loads more we could talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 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 I tell you what, let's let's wrap up by both saying like one of our other favorite. We each get 
like a one minute favorite. So I'll do mine because I thought of this because something just came to mind and that gives you a chance to think, you see. Perfect. So another really interesting dynamic in this, like trying to see, does, is this telling me about reality or not, is the change that happened in the disciples. Mm. So actually N.T. Wright writes a lot about this in his book on the resurrection and how you know they went from people who had a really twisted view of like the expectations the Bible should give you about messiahship to having a completely different view. Um, that they actually, the penny dropped after the resurrection. Um, they went from like cowering, fearing for their life, confused to like willing to die for it, bold, social revolutionaries. I mean, they took Jesus's, oh, I'm going to stir the pot and they went and kicked it over. Yeah. You know, and and so this sort of radical change in them, there has to be a reason for it. Now, if they had some sort of mass hallucination, which, by the way, can't really happen in this case, psychology, another bit of evidence to talk about, um, you know, it, it doesn't really account for it. They they didn't really have a box for a resurrection. So it's, it's not even like they could have oh, been self-deceived. Like yeah. they they didn't have within themselves the ingredients to construct this deception, to deceive themselves, to create this change in themselves. Like something external has happened to them. And, and it's another really great question. Like what external thing could there be that could possibly have brought about this change in the disciples other than Jesus rising, meeting them, setting the record straight and filling them with the spirit? And so I, that's a really, really interesting thing to sort of think through. So yeah. there's homework if you want to think about this. Yeah, that always is an interesting one too, is, is just that idea of like, why would the, like they clearly believed in it. Many of them died for this belief that Jesus had been crucified and buried, raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. You, and, and if you don't really believe in that, then you're not going to be hung upside down on a cross uh, you're not going to in uh, the things that have been said about maybe the way John died of, uh, or or not died, but possibly like tried to be boiled alive and then it didn't work and all that kind of stuff and be sent off to the Isle of Patmos and all these things. You're not going to let that happen to you if you don't believe in it. You're going to be like, oh, boiled alive? Nah, yeah, you're right. I set those beliefs aside. It, it, we're good. Um, but another thing that I want to mention is that um, I don't know if this falls in, in line with the question, but I do want to just mention it anyway, and then we can call it you my get, thing. You get free reign. We'll just call it my thing anyway. Uh, I do I do want to mention that I do think it's, and N.T. Wright will talk about this as well, is the interesting facts of uh, the fact that in the stories we're told that it w was the women who found yes, the that's empty a good tomb. One. That's a good one. And come back, and they're the ones who proclaim the good news of this resurrected Jesus. And if you're trying to construct a story that you want people to believe, not because it's really believable, but because you just want to construct a really cool fable and create this hype around something that didn't happen, you don't start by having women in the ancient world be the ones to have found uh, the, the body or the, yeah. the non-body, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Yeah. Like that's not going to be believable just because of the ancient yeah. world's view on women. And yeah, we don't get this in our world, but yeah, yeah, in their world. A woman telling a story like that is like, oh, 
there's just another woman. Yeah, you might as well pull out some... a one-year-old and like, yeah. oh, the babbling the one-year-old's making sounds a bit like the tomb's empty. Yeah, exactly. Like, or like it's the, not uh, going to cut any mustard. At the all. It, yeah, would have been the same as or like when we I think some old movies or whatever you have the dog who's trying to tell you of something and the dog's just barking, bark bark bark, and you're like, what? The barn's on fire. Someone's stuck in the barn. <laughs> Take me to it, boy. Come yeah. on, boy. Oh, oh no. Uh, Old, old McCranky is in there. Well, come on. Like, that would have been the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why Old McCranky was the name that I thought of, but whatever. We'll let that slide. Uh, <laughs> that would have been the same thing. And and yet here we have the women, the ones who broke. I mean, they yeah. were the first preachers. The first. So the most the important witnesses pick women. Yeah. Like, if you want to tell some lies. Yeah. I mean, this is like, you know, you're at school. and The teacher's like, have you done your homework? Yeah. Like, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> Like, not gonna lie. Well, maybe, but like, I don't know what would it be. I, I was on the way to school with the homework in my hand. An eagle swooped down. Yeah, totally. Just like, yeah, exactly. Why would you? Why, don't like, go with just that tell story. It, if you're gonna lie, tell a believable story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's loads of stuff to think about. Um, and remember, it all ties into the stuff we talked about at the beginning of like our faith is historical, and that elevates Christianity. It throws down a challenge and says, well, can you find it in history? Mm-hmm. Here's one great example that Jesus said was the linchpin where it really does stand up to some scrutiny. And that's really encouraging for us and gives us you know, a good story to tell. And actually, I want to finish with like when Jesus commissions the disciples. Actually, he, um, I think this is the end of Luke, but um, he actually says to them, you are now witnesses of these things. Mm. And... And, and it's not just like you're the eyewitnesses, but it's like a, like in a relay race, the baton of the evidence, of the reality of this, that this actually happened. Jesus is like, I've done it, and I'm putting the baton in your hands. Mm. And now you're going to go pass it on to someone else. And so in a way, like what Ryan and I have done today is pressed this baton into your hand yeah. so that you'll be encouraged so that you'll press it into other people's hands. And then that's the sort of twofold, like encourage other people who know Jesus. And like this might be something God can use as fuel in your relationships as you want to introduce Jesus to those people in your life who don't know him as well. So yeah. so there's a sort of, yeah, it's a really exciting central part of Christianity. So is, yeah. yeah, think about it, do something with it. And should we... Uh, recommend any yeah what's a um, there's yeah. a load of books actually the case for Christ one is pretty good because it's very readable mm-hmm. it's it's been around a long time and there's all sorts of you know podcasts and like you know if you're like oh I don't like a book there's, you'll find it on YouTube and all sorts so yeah. I'll I'll put a link into that one that's really good yeah and then if you uh, if you read those and you're like I want more and I want them to go deeper or faster or even just some different types of topics. I want to give me the 700 pager. Yeah, you've got things like uh, Richard Bauckham has a book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, goes more into the credibility of the Gospels and them being eyewitness accounts, yeah. not just some people just babbling on about some stuff, but like these are exactly what Luke said, eyewitness orderly accounts. Uh, N.T. Wright has written many different, I think, forms kind of even of his like more readable levels and more academic yeah. levels of, you know, Jesus and the victory of God 
uh, talking about the historical Jesus aspect, and then the resurrection of the Son of God, kind of like two volumes on the life of Jesus. In fact, resurrection of the Son of God, I just found out, was supposed to be the last chapter of Jesus and the victory of God, and then it became a whole book that's (laughs) bigger than the predecessor. So maybe start with Jesus and the victory of God, and then move on to that one. Yeah. There you go. So that's some good stuff. I'll put some links in the notes. Enjoy, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.